So, all right. So, Second Timothy, um, building people who build churches is what we've been talking about, and we're still talking about. Oh, you guys probably need a handout, so let me get you that. No, this is our. This is where we're starting. Oh, thanks, Rex. Yeah, yeah, yep. Well, both series are about building people who building church or building churches. This this section, this book, is about individual responsibility, which is perfect for Laodicea, since we all want to be individuals. Um, so, um, I think Jeff will be in here. So, if we, uh, if if you had a death sentence. Um, what would you leave behind? If I had what? A death sentence. What would you leave behind? What would be important to you to leave behind? Reputation. Oh, reputation. That's good. A few years ago, Amy and I, uh, we went to Hawaii, so we had to leave a will and testament. And actually, we're getting ready to travel again. We're not going to Hawaii. We're going to Pennsylvania for a marriage conference. Um, and we've been talking about this very thing, uh, about... Because uh, since our last will and testament, um, things have changed. The people who, our kids are much older. So back then, you know, who's power of attorney? How, what do you do with your children if you die in a plane crash? All that kind of stuff. You know, you think about all those details. And um, what was the most important thing in my mind to leave to my kids? What do you think it might be? That's it. My Bibles. You may. Be, I may have said this before too. I don't know. Have I? So, my Bibles are the are the my. I got this Bible, which is the one I'm preaching from now, which right now is willed to Elizabeth, and then I've got uh, my my Bible Bible, which is the one I got. I've had since I've been saved. It stays on my desk at the at home office because it's getting too too fragile to travel. Sometimes when I do QA on Wednesday, you'll see me. It's got duct tape on the back of it. That one goes to Samuel. So if I die, they get the, that's what they get. And um, and uh, and so and obviously there's other things that they would get and all the earthly stuff. But um, you know the the things of real value are, are really what you want to give to the people that you love. And and uh, if you're a wise steward, um, <clears throat> you know you don't want to wait till the last minute. Right to think about those things, you want to have a plan in place to give that to your, to the people you love and you care about. Um, and so, before we get all into the text um, today, I just that's really what we see here is, is uh, as we think about Paul, he's in a dark prison cell in first century Rome, and the room would be small, and it'll kind of be more like a cave than a cell. You know, this the it's presumed that we know where he was at um, uh, when he was in prison. Yeah, there'd be a little light to read or write, and there'd be nasty odors and, and sewer running uh, running around or below him. Uh, uh, have you been to his? Have you been there? Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. You, can you tell us what it's like? Hole in the ground. I've seen the pictures on the on the internet, but I haven't been there. Um, and uh, and so. Uh, you know, and first, if you've even traveled to a third world country, you know that the issues of sewage, sanitation is is despicable, and uh, you can imagine that. And so, uh, if you got ill, I mean, you would, you know, it'd be bad. Um, uh, you know, and so just getting a fresh breath of air, you know, could be difficult, especially in a in an ancient city inside of a 
of a prison. I could just imagine. Uh, and so, kind of getting that context, that's that's what we're going to read. That's what that's the that's where Paul was at whenever uh, he wrote Second Timothy. Uh, he was in those kind of conditions, and uh, he wrote these these incredible words to his disciple, his son in the Lord, uh, Timothy. And in spite uh, of those conditions, uh, the light of the gospel illuminated Paul as he wrote, uh, because this was very personal to him, and he left very practical and powerful words for his disciple Timothy. So let's look at verses one through twelve, and we'll get into it tonight. First Timothy, or Second Timothy, I should say rather. So he's saying First Timothy, Second Timothy, chapter uh, chapter one and verse one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God. The Father in Christ Jesus our Lord, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Uh, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, uh, for which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I have, uh, for I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Heavenly Father, we just thank you tonight for the songs, Lord. We thank you for uh, the opportunity to come together and pray and praise your name. And, and uh, Lord, we look forward to, as we see this introduction to this epistle, Lord, we just pray, God, that you would prime our hearts for our prayer time here in just a little bit. Lord, get us in the, in the frame of mind uh, to commune and communicate with you. Uh, Lord, as we saw in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Lord, you call us to pray and intercede for kings, for all that in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. And Lord, I pray today that we would be fervent and effectual in our prayers, Lord, that we would uh, come before you and and see uh, the kingdom of God advanced right from this location tonight. Lord, it's not about our physical situation. Uh, It's about, Lord, the spiritual disposition that we have, the power that comes from the, 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 the throne of heaven. Lord, as we cry out to you, Lord, you like to use the weak things to confound the wise. Lord, you like to use the things that are small to, to get big things done and that's how you work and so father we are excited tonight to enter into praise and prayer and we pray god that you would advance the kingdom uh, for your honor and your glory we ask this in jesus name amen uh speaking of small and big things lord that that's that's what the lord was doing here with with paul uh he's in a bad situation paul is a of stature was a small man uh but yet he was mighty uh in his spiritual impact and so paul's very confident and ready to be absent from the body present with the lord uh, like the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul was willing to endure the hardships of his cell, despising the pain and the shame for the hope that was set before him. And so these are important last words. Uh, last words in the scripture are always important, whether it's Jacob's last words to his 12 sons in Genesis 49, or Moses' final words to Israel 
and Joshua's in Deuteronomy 22-23, or if it's Jesus' last words, uh, they're meaningful, especially to those who receive them. I can imagine how Timothy must have felt after reading Acts twenty nineteen and uh, Acts thirty seven through thirty or, or not Acts thirty seven Acts twenty um, thirty seven through thirty eight. We know that Paul was very close to Timothy and the elders at Ephesus, and we also know from the tenor of the letter that Timothy was already privy uh, to the reality that Paul was now imprisoned as a criminal in Rome. So if you were if you were to leave this earth who would you want to communicate with and what would you want to communicate if you could if you can answer that question right i mean who would you really want to communicate with uh, and what would you say to them um you know, really, if you can answer that question, I would ask you if you have already communicated those things that God has placed on your heart. And if not, why not? That's a pretty heavy thing to think about. So you don't really know if you have tomorrow, right? So we should make sure that we have those things buttoned up today. So Paul has these two imprisonments. Um, we know that Paul had two imprisonments. The first imprisonment we see in Acts gave him liberty for two years. In Acts 28, 30-31, the Bible says, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house, and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So he was very free to move about. Did I leave that in your notes? I don't have my notes in front of me. So I think I tried to put the verses in there since we don't have overheads. Okay, good. So Paul had a rental home, right, during his first imprisonment. Not too bad, right? He had freedom to receive guests. It would appear his appeal before Caesar was successful, having no basis in Roman law. Tradition places... Oh, yeah, thank you. Oh, if they do, that would be great. So we'll leave, I'll leave it up here. You're very, you're very uh, optimistic that others will come in at this point, but uh, praise the Lord. <laughs> Keep it up, brother. Keep it up. <laughs> Without faith, it's impossible to please him. <laughs> so, um, at any rate, uh, where did I leave off? So he had this rental home, and it would appear that, that you know he was his appeal before Caesar was successful, having no basis in Roman law. So tradition places the release of Paul around 62 to 63 A.D., while others say it was 66 A.D. I believe that Paul was probably released initially from custody sometime prior to 64 A.D. as uh, the burning of Rome and Nero's campaign of terror upon Christians would uh, have made Paul's appeal and, rel- and relative ease and captivity very difficult uh, to achieve under tyrannical persecution. Nero would not have been a good uh, Caesar uh, to be under. And so the burning of Rome occurred July 19th of AD 64. So I believe that he was released before that. After the burning, I would suspect Paul would have been one of Rome's most wanted for leading the troublesome way, um, which became known as the Christian movement because its followers claimed to be little Christ or have Christ in them. And it's a scary thing to think about the principalities and powers. When they determine, right, you're a terrorist, uh, then they get to come after you as such. So Paul becomes, you know, I'm sure he became uh, one of the main people that they wanted to, to uh, uh, make a suspect in any of the difficulties that uh, they wanted to blame on the Christians. So the burning of Rome occurred at that time in July 19th. And um, 
And so Paul, being the head of this way, would have probably got a lot of the suspicion and uh, would have been placed upon him. Of course, uh, no one in history believes that Christians burned anything, right? We know that that was, uh, everyone knows that Caesar, it's suspected, it's highly likely Caesar was, you know, the one culpable for all of that. And so my suspicion is what, uh, based on what Paul says in Philippians 4.22 concerning the saints in Caesar's household, is that he was having quite an impact. Uh, I put that passage in there as well. He, he Paul says, uh, as he writes the Philippians, he says, Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. So in that servant uh, you know, I, I don't remember the number now. I think it was 50% or more of the people were considered a indentured servant in those days. I don't remember the number. It was quite significant. I think I talked about it in the last uh, book, First Timothy. Um, it was a lot of people, right? And so those folks are coming to Christ, even the ones in Caesar's house. And, of course, we know that Paul was influential, even speaking to heads of state and uh, King Agrippa, right? And, uh, and, and people like that, he had quite an influence. Um, I don't know, this is a fact, but I could imagine how the news of this way was catching fire among the household staff uh, and could have infuriated Nero as he is the, the deity of Rome, right? At this point, these guys are now, uh, they're human deities, similar to Pharaoh's. Uh, of course, he thought that until he woke up in hell. But perhaps it was uh, his interaction with his Roman Pharisee, uh, who was accused unjustly under Roman law, that brought attention to Christianity in Rome. But uh, we do not know why Nero targeted Christians exactly, but we do know that after 64 AD, Christianity and the Roman Empire suffered ten waves of Roman persecution for the next 300 years. So it was not an easy go for Christians. Um, now, it wasn't continual, but they just have wave after wave. Ten, there's ten documented uh, waves of Roman persecution uh, until, of course, then you get the, the Roman Catholic system, which is just another form of bondage for Christians. So uh, regardless of how things unfolded in Nero's house, I can imagine after 64 AD, those who claimed Christ in Nero's house would have certainly been killed. And it's recorded that Nero lit his garden with the bodies of burning Christians, which is just absolutely sick, it's sadistic, it's satanic. You know, this guy was the Antichrist of his day. Now, notice the date 64 AD. So that was before, um, of course, Titus, uh, who came, who was General Titus, uh, when he sacked Jerusalem in 70 AD, six years later. Uh, and then, of course, he becomes Emperor Titus after that. And so, um, you might ask about Paul's trip to Spain. What about Paul's trip to Spain? Or, uh, uh, well, I'm glad you're asking. So we know that Paul desired to go to Spain in Romans 15, uh, verse 24, which you have there in your notes. Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and be brought on the way whitherward by you, if first I be somewhat uh, filled with your company. Uh, but now I go to, unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. So it's possible that Paul did make it to Spain, as he records in Second Timothy four seven. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Second Timothy four seven tells us that. So it is possible that Paul, between his uh, first and second imprisonment, made it to Spain. That's not, you know, impossible at all. Um, so we certainly know that Paul had traveled. Uh, he had traveling liberty prior to his second imprisonment because he wrote First Timothy um, uh, to Timothy in Ephesus from Laodicea in the region of Phrygia in Asia, uh, which is Turkey. And he wrote to Titus from Nicopolis on the coast of the Adriatic Sea in what is modern Albania. 
so this letter to Titus was sent to Crete, where Titus was overseeing a host of churches that um, located along that that were located along that island. And of course, Paul encourages him to ordain elders in those cities. So it's clear that Paul traveled quite a bit prior to his imprisonment and his second letter to Timothy. So there was a lot of activity that we just don't have records of. I mean, it, it had to happen. So what about Paul's arrest? That's a good question too. So Paul's arrest seems to be sudden. Uh, as he left his coat and his parchments and books in Troas. And again, being uh, that being the case, Paul was on the move as Troas is in the western shore of modern Turkey, uh, or what we would call uh, today modern Turkey, which in the Bible is Asia, uh, on the Aegean Sea. So it's probably uh, that his arrest was so sudden he didn't have time or liberty to gather his belongings. He was probably taken into captivity. Second Timothy 4.13, he says, The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee and the books, <coughs> but especially the parchments. And so uh, I put a chart on here with the distinctions in Paul's first and second imprisonments. Um, Acts 28 uh, the first imprisonment is is recorded there. It was it wrote he wrote those prison epistles. He was persecuted by Rome and arrested as a criminal against the empire, and it was political. Uh, that's the blank there. It's political under his first imprisonment. Uh, he wrote Second Timothy in his second imprisonment, and he was accused of the Jews of heresy and sedition as a criminal in second in the, in his second imprisonment. So one was political and one was criminal. Of course, Nero, I think, had a lot to do with that. <clears throat> His first imprisonment, he saw local sporadic persecutors. Um, in his second imprisonment, AD 64 to 68, we see uh, Neroian, which is Nero, uh, persecution. We see this this persecution that's uh, coming, you know, from the government, uh, from Nero directly. It wasn't just, you know, Paul going, bouncing from place to place, making his case like we see in the book of Acts. Uh, and dec- he had decent living conditions in Acts as he rented the house. <coughs> um, excuse me. Hey, Amy? Could you grab me a water, hon? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm parched. I know, you just got settled. Um, <coughs> the poor, he had poor conditions in cold, dark dungeon in his second imprisonment. Uh, we see very clearly that he had friends visiting him in his first imprisonment, many friends. But in his second imprisonment, he was virtually alone. Okay, did you say local or vocal? Local sporadic persecution, uh, local sporadic persecutors, right? So he would preach, and then they would pick up. You know, they'd want to stone him or uh, what have you. But it wasn't just it wasn't the same as what we see uh, in his second imprisonment. He didn't have near the liberty in his second imprisonment that he had in his first. So he had friends coming to see him in his first one. He was virtually alone uh, in his second one. Only Luke was with him, 2 Timothy 4.11. Thank you. Um, Many opportunities for Christian witnesses or witness were available. We see that in the book of Acts. Uh, but opportunities for witness were restricted in his second imprisonment. And, and uh, Paul was optimistic for release and freedom, uh, you know, making plans to see churches and what have you. But in Second Timothy, in Philippians 1, 24-26, in Second Timothy 4, 6, uh, he was anticipating his execution very clearly. 
right? The, the time of his departure was at hand. He was ready to go. So uh, very different circumstances. So it's under these circumstances Paul writes his personal, practical, and powerful letter to his son in the Lord. And uh, we don't know if Timothy made it uh, before winter and if these last words uh, to Timothy were received from Paul. But what we do know is that God chose these words to be in the canon of Scripture and preserved for us to this day. So until the catching away of the church, when we will see Paul face to face, along with all the saints and our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we would do well to receive these words with all soberness, for they reveal many things that are important to these last days. Second Timothy and Colossians are indispensable when navigating through the winds of doctrine that are pervasive in the current age. By the way, commercial for... Uh, I'm not just trying to pump Jeff up, but this morning was he did an outstanding job in his ABF talking about Gnosticism and all of those things, which are very pertinent to um, these things that we're talking about in these days. You know, so uh, yeah, these these books, Second Second Timothy, uh, Colossians, they're indispensable. Of course, all the New Testament's indispensable, but they really do have a lot of reference to our current age. So we got to hold fast to the faithful words as we've been taught. And uh, we're going to do a flyover of 2 Timothy tonight, and so let's uh, get ready to take off in the next five minutes and see how far we can fly before we have to land the plane. <laughs> so, um, And so, number one, the, the instructions before leaving Earth. Final instructions before leaving Earth. So we need, we have our final identification. Paul identifies himself formally in chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. So his final identification reveals the hope of of, uh, life in Christ Jesus instead of the desperation in deplorable dark uh, circumstances. I don't know that I would be that uh, focused, but boy, Paul was. He really... Uh, was not in despair. The promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, uh, I mean, just the tenor of that is exactly the, 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 is what he brings through this whole epistle. Uh, it is almost as if he's not in that condition at all, though he is physically in that situation. And so, um, you know, again, you don't know what kind of grace you're going to have until you get there. But I would pray to God that if I was ever in that situation, I could have that kind of grace. You know, and the promise of life is what he was hanging on to. And, of course, you don't have to be in a jail cell. I mean, there's a, a many a Christian uh, that are in situations they don't want to be in, right? Paul, the, Jesus told Peter, hey, Peter, I'm sorry to tell you this, pal. Well, I'm not sorry to tell you this, but you're going to have to go somewhere you don't want to go. Someone else is going to have to gird thee, and, uh, and you're going to be crucified, right? He's going to be killed. Um, and so uh, there's times as we maybe get to the end of the road that things aren't the way you want them to go. Uh, but yet you have the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, which gets you through uh, that difficult situation until you step out of this body and uh, step into glory. So point B, Paul identifies with Timothy very personally in verse 2. Um, so he gives that formal introduction in verse 1. Now in verse 2, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if you just think about that in practical terms, and you're not just cutting up with your buddies, very seldom would I call, even in my life right now, there's very few people I would call dearly beloved son. I mean, obviously my own son, who is beloved. uh, But, I mean, in the ministry... Um, I have a lot of sons, as Paul said. You know, you know, he said to the Corinthians, "You got a lot of fa- you got a lot of teachers, but you don't have many fathers, right?" So, uh, but well, you, there there are people in your life that you've really invested in. They are like sons. He's like, "This is my dearly beloved son." What a term of endearment, 
Uh, I, w- I think to Timothy that had to mean something. Coming up with Grandma and Mom, you know, uh, Eunice and Lois, um, for the Apostle Paul to say, Hey, son, you're my dearly beloved son. That had to speak to his heart. We were just having a conversation before I came out here about the King's Mighty Men. That's what we're really talking about is that father-son relationship, how important it is for that father to invest in his son. Um, And it's personal, very personal. Um, And so it's deeply personal in its identification. So grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord, it is um, a promising identification as well. So it's personal and it's promising. Uh, and I'm still under point B, so I haven't added anything. Um, <clears throat> so Timothy receives assurance. Huh? What's point A? Uh, point A is that he identifies himself um, uh, personally. Or no, 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 not personally. That's point B. Um, formally. Formally. Point A is formally. Point B is personally. And so I'm still on point B. So Timothy receives assurance from Paul and his fa- his father in the Lord as he receives assurance uh, <clears throat> from uh, the Spirit of God in heaven. So he's just passing on to Timothy what he's getting from his father in heaven. So point C. Um, so seven ways that Paul identifies himself in the first chapter. Uh, he identifies himself uh, as an apostle. Um, and in verse 1, and I got a typo there, a father in verse 2. A faithful servant in verse 3, a prisoner in verse 8, a preacher in verse 11, a teacher in verse 11, and in verse 12 there, uh, a sufferer. It says, a sufferer. But in verse 12 it says, And these things which I also suffer... These I, for this cause, I'm sorry, I also suffer these things. So he's someone who's in a suffering uh, servant, really, is what he would be there on number seven. So, um, so those are the seven ways he identifies himself. And uh, point two, I'll go ahead and move on to that. We also get to see his final instructions. So, um, before I jump into that too far, you know, we can think about how we would be identified. We were talking about what you would give and what you would write to the, in your last will and testament. Um, you know, would people say of us, you know, if it was our funeral today, um, would we be considered a faithful messenger of the gospel? Would we be communicating, not just from a pulpit, but in our life, uh, would we be communicating the gospel? You know, how are we doing spiritually? So... Um, you know, I was I was telling Amy yesterday we can't we went home and had some lunch after our photos and our family was all disheveled and messed up. Not visit, we look good on the outside, but we come rolling in here for pictures yesterday. Just it all kinds of messed up. You know, people were mad because time constraints weren't where they wanted, and, and I'm like, man, what a horrible testimony we are of the gospel. <laughs> so I went home and repented. I told the, I told the Lord about it, but that happens, doesn't it? You know, you're like that wasn't a very good representation. Of course, you guys know how that is, how it is. People, you know, you're trying to get to church, trying to get something done, and something always goes wrong. But uh, um, at any rate, um, I will say my wife handled things well, and I hope I was okay, but I can't speak for the kids who represent us and look, are a reflection of us. So, <laughs> so ultimately, it is a reflection of us. But anyway, those things happen. I'd like to say that, that I'm a reflection, right, of the gospel. I'm not talking about preaching, but I'm talking about, like, in the little things, right, the, or what are really not so little, which is the day-to-day grind. And that's really where you want to shine, uh, not just in a pulpit, not just in a ministry activity, but also in the day-to-day business of life where you're engaging with people uh, with the grace of God. And that's how we run our race. That's how we want to finish our course. And so... Um, 
you know, who have we discipled? Who have we invested in? Um, are they still in the Word of God? Are they still preaching? Um, you know, are they a faithful servant? Are we faithful servants? Are we captivated by Christ? Um, you know, uh, are we are we preachers of the gospel, or are we passive uh, in our gospel presentation? You know, and that's I tell you guys right now is the time to be uh, forward in the gospel presentation. I just watched, I just saw a European guy, and it was such a good video on YouTube. This guy, I could tell he's in Europe. Uh, first of all, because he's in this tiny little apartment somewhere um it's just so european and uh, he's got the european accent you know but he's some christian i don't know he could be a presbyterian but he's definitely born again um definitely born again and he and he's so gentle and he's so kind and he's he's putting the gospel out and he's just being so careful uh not to not to be he's not being uh, milk toast you know and as i'm i'm listening to this testimony that he's giving um i'm just captivated by how sincere he is and how gentle he is and and uh, i was thinking about you know why that it was is or not was but is is because the conditions that he lives in his testimony was from where he's sitting in europe right now nobody wants to hear this nobody wants to hear their sinner nobody wants to hear the truth and no it's hard to identify he's talking about how hard it is to identify with the truth but and then he comes and he preaches the truth very eloquently and very gently and very solidly as trying not to be the offense, but to get the message across. And it just as I was watching that video, I thought, wow, that is that's where he's at right now. That's what it's like in Europe. It is so sensitive. It is so uh, just hard to preach the gospel. This guy's playing patty cake. You know, he just he just really is doing everything he can to get the get to get to the point where people will listen. He's just trying to be very discreet so people will hear what he has to say. He's not. I'm not nearly as gentle, or uh, I don't have to be because of where I live. In America, as bad as it is, I can still say what I want. <laughs> I can still speak my mind. I don't have to be, you know, that uh, that concerned about it at this point. Uh, but uh, but we're probably going to get there, you know. And I I, I appreciate uh, that the tension that that for, that poor fellow is under, and it just reminded me of how important it is to get the gospel out, and how difficult it is um, to get that out around the world. Right? It, it's kind of easy still here in, in America. Yeah, we get a little bit of pushback, and yeah, we got a bunch of craziness, but we can go out and preach the gospel. You know, um, man, I tell you what. It isn't that easy in India. It is not that easy in, in a lot of places in the world. And yet we still need to be faithful servants and get that done. <clears throat> and so, you know, I hope that we're I hope we're not passive in our gospel presentation. I hope we're purposeful in that. And I hope we're actively teaching the word of God and we're ready in season, out of season, you know, that we have the oracles of God uh, in our minds, in our hearts. That's one of the things that, that you know, I'm personally right now convicted about is just really being ready minded. And having the Word of God dwelling in me richly. There's so many other things that are distracting to our minds and hearts. And so uh, we want to make sure that we don't try to wiggle out of sacrificial service either. And so we, uh, and I don't think anyone, I'm not accusing anyone of that either, uh, especially tonight in this room. But it is easy to kind of wiggle out of sacrificial service. You can do a lot of religious things or spiritual things or good things. But really, God's calling us to sacrificial service, right? That's 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 what the whole book of Philippians is about. There's a joy there that you don't enter into until you put yourself on the altar. That's what Romans chapter 1 through 3 is all about. 
Romans 12, 1 through 3 is all about. So when we get to 2 Timothy, uh, or this second point, it's his final instructions. Um, and I'm going to just, I'm going to pause there because uh, that's a good place to stop. So uh, if I go too far, it will be too long. Did you, you, I don't write anything down here at the top. Of Paul identifies with Timothy very personally. No, up, in, up here Above in this. In the box. Oh yeah, in the box. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I went way past. I'm way past that. Yeah, <laughs> You didn't catch it, huh? All right. Uh, the box. Many opportunity. Where, where, let me see your boxes there. Many, uh, many friends visited him. Ver- versus, he was in Second Timothy. He's virtually alone. Um, many opportunities for Christians witnesses were available. But there were, in Second Timothy, opportunities for witnesses uh, or for witness were restricted. He didn't have the liberty in Second Timothy that he had in First Timothy, and he was optimistic for release and freedom in, in Philippians uh, one twenty four through twenty six, as I, I was saying earlier. But he anticipated his execution in Second Timothy four six. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Any other blanks that I missed? Okay, well, let's run through the. I'll just run through this chart one more time. So, let's just go down first. In the, his first imprisonment, um, uh, <clears throat> he was persecuted by Rome and arrested as a criminal against uh, the empire. That was political. It was a political imprisonment. Um, of course, it was religious as well, but it, you, you know the story in Acts, Acts twenty-eight, and so uh, he was appearing before Agrippa. And and what have you? So it was. He had local sporadic persecutors, right? He had persecutors in Jerusalem. He had Sanhedrin persecuting him. People would show up at his court date in Caesarea to give him grief, you know. But it was it wasn't it wasn't the same as what you see in Second Timothy. Um, and then he had many friends that visited him when he was in his uh, first imprisonment. Uh, he had many opportunities for Christian uh, witness were available. I mean, even the very courts in which he stood, he witnessed. You know, very clearly, it's all recorded in Acts. And he was, and it was, he was optimistic for release and freedom. So that's first imprisonment. Did you guys get that? And then the second imprisonment, he was accused. In Second Timothy, he was accused by Jews of heresy and sedition as a criminal. Uh, and he was under that Neronian uh, Nero persecution. From 64 to 68 AD, very intense. He, so he was caught up in that, if not the cause of that, in some part, or, or at least the scapegoat. Uh, poor conditions in a cold, dark dungeon, virtually alone. Right? Only Luke was with him. He said in Second Timothy, uh, 4:11. Opportunities for witness were restricted, and uh, he anticipated his execution. Arrest. A R R E S T. Um, that I was I was saying I, you know it's debated. I believe that they were not that far apart um, because Nero would have been in in sixty four A D, and uh, the Corinthian letter was fifty five A D. So. Yeah, I think that. So if he traveled to Spain, he would have probably gotten to Rome been released, probably left from Rome, went to Spain, and then came back uh, to Asia. I don't really know. I mean, we don't know. But he would have made his way back to Asia, probably to Ephesus where Timothy was at. Um, I don't know that. 
but he was in Troas, so Troas was close to him, I believe, if my memory's right, in his first journey. That's why he had to go, that's when he went to Macedonia. But now he's in Troas and his cloak is left there. And I have to go back and, and review that to make sure, I'm doing that off the top of my head, so I may have the wrong city. But my recollection is, maybe Jeff can help me. Um, was Jeff in Acts, before he went to Macedonia, is Troas the city where he was bouncing around and couldn't go? God said, nope, not here. Yeah, I'm thinking it was. I'm thinking this, so I, I'll let you, I, I can go check this. My point is though, is that he's in Troas in Second Timothy. His coat is. So my guess is, if he did make it to Spain, he somehow made it way back back to Troas, which was close to him, under his first uh, missionary journey. So. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta go back and get it. Oh, could you imagine not having a coat? And I was just watching some. Uh, lady that was in prison down in i think florida is florida and uh she's was making her case uh without an attorney did a really good job but that was one of her complaints was they wouldn't give her a coat and how cold it was she was 70 years old and uh and uh they she didn't have a have a, a, a sweatshirt she was freezing to death so at any rate um <clears throat> she actually was able to defend herself successfully with the judge i was impressed and uh, yeah, I'm, it was it was impressive. But anyway, he let her go. So, uh, 13 days of imprisonment without any due process. She, she called him out on it, and uh, she did. She knew her stuff, and she's like, "I didn't sign it." And da, da 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 da. He was justifying her being in prison because she didn't sign a document, and she made the legal case. I don't have to sign a document to get my first hearing. You're to do that by law. Da 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 da. So he released her. And, I mean, he set another court date, and she was free to go. No lawyer necessary. So I was like, hmm. But anyway, um, but her complaint was how cold it is in jail. And uh, it is. It's like a meat locker. It can be. So they do that on purpose. So they don't want you too comfortable. All right. Well, that's that's where we are tonight. We'll come back and pick it up um, under point two and finish that up, and then we'll we'll move along. All right. Any questions? Comments? Are you ready? You know, are we really ready? Yeah. Well, we need to be ready because you never know what tomorrow will bring. So, Amy, we need to be ready before we fly away. We need to figure out what we're doing with our kids. So, my daughter's like, don't leave me with brother. He's a legal adult now, you know. So, (laughs) anybody need a 17-year-old girl, 16-year-old going on 17? All right.